Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. We are still rounding out our coverage of the year movies of 2022. Today's episode is about EO, and I'm very excited to be joined by a first-time guest. It is Haley Jones joining us. Haley, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So EO is the newest movie from Polish director... I'm going to apologize. I don't know if you know this, Haley. I apologize if I messed it up, but I think it's uh, Jerzy Skolomowski. And it was Poland's submission for Best International Feature at the uh, at the Oscars this past year. And it received an Oscar nomination. And EO is about a donkey who, within this movie, is uh, named EO. And honestly, like, Haley, I end up like, you know, you've you've listened to the podcast a few times before, more than a few times before. You know, I like to give a plot synopsis. Don't think there's necessarily a ton to give in that regard here. We this is a movie that honestly follows the point of view of this donkey named EO. And we follow him throughout mostly Poland. We end up at another country towards the end of this movie. And we see him as he travels through different circumstances, whether it be a a circus or a a petting zoo, therapy zoo of sorts or a or, or different kind of uh or different um animal clinics or different things we we we, we are on a journey through the, through the world and we see humanity through the eyes of a donkey and that is the what this movie sets out to do it's fair to say so Haley, i guess where i want to start and i i, I didn't want to introduce you this way and but i'm gonna put i'm gonna put your boyfriend on blast so <laughs> Our, our, one of our regular guests is Elijah, and uh, Haley is his girlfriend. And I, I want to say, Haley, I don't know if he ever told you this, but I actually inquired about this time last year. I said, hey, any, I don't know if he told you this. I said, do you think Haley would have any interest in talking about uh, the worst person in the world with me? Because we were talking about with our my friend Ben. And uh, he's like, I want to do a podcast on that. I'm like, cool. We're not doing two dudes talking about this. I need to find a woman who likes this movie that would want to talk about it. And I enjoyed your letterbox review of it. And I inquired to Elijah, hey, is this something Haley would have an interest in doing? He's like, I don't know. She's really shy. Don't worry about it. I'm like, cool. No, I, I thought I'd ask. And that was what he said. I don't know if he ever conveyed this to you, but I made that inquiry. Nope. Okay. So you can blame <laughs> Elijah for that. If you think you would have enjoyed talking about that movie. Uh, well, uh, we had a friend of Ben's that did express an interest. Didn't work out timing wise. And then- I, I, I was like, cool, I'll drop it, but like, whatever. And then I know that like, there was a movie that came out last year called The Woman King. And The Woman King was a movie that was, let's just say, Haley is an, an art history PhD student at, is it Emory, correct? Yes, Emory, and, yes. And uh, let's just say your your specialty is that very region of Africa in which that movie was set. You wrote an, an incredibly uh, incisive uh, and insightful letterbox review that I enjoyed, but I wasn't gonna bother you. I was like, hey, like talking on podcasts, not really Haley's thing. Elijah told me whatever, but like you wrote at great length and I even referenced it, I think a couple times in my podcast about it. So I was like, cool. I'm, I, I, I enjoy being a, a letterbox follower of Haley's. I enjoy her insights on movies and that, that that's perfectly fine. And I I'm, I'm glad to know her as a person. And that was it. And then uh, about a, 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 like five or six days ago, as of the recording of this podcast, I got I, I get a Facebook message from Elijah that says like, yo, Haley said she would really enjoy doing the podcast on EO. I was like, <laughs> Okay, cool. So I have now done, I, I now attempted to do a podcast on the experience of uh, a millennial woman just being in this world, which uh, Elijah wasn't sure you'd want to talk about. Another one about your expertise in a, th th another one, a movie that like, let's just say overlapped a lot with your area of expertise. Didn't even try and do it. I'm just kind of curious. But then all of a sudden I get an inquiry from Elijah about the donkey movie. <laughs> saying Haley would like to talk about this so and obviously you knew like I'd be receptive to this because let's just say uh, I have a lot of regular guests whose significant others have been on this podcast before so mm -hmm. I say all of this to say 
what about the what about the donkey movie appealed to you so that you're like you know what i feel like i would want to do a podcast about this what about this movie which again as i gave this plot description is just traveling around uh mostly poland and another country seeing the world through the eyes of a donkey i want to know and you can take this anywhere you want to Haley. what was the biggest thing about this movie that spoke to you that said hey i want to talk about this yeah um so i think it's safe to say that it has been a long time that i'm finally appearing on the podcast Mm -hmm. um I definitely look back at The Woman King as something I wish I could have talked about on the podcast, but I am happy that I put all my ideas <laughs> down in, in writing, which is what I'm most used to doing as, you know, as a PhD student, that's where I'm most comfortable. Sure. But, you know, when I think about wanting to appear on this podcast and what I can contribute to this podcast um, mm-hmm. as not a film expert by any means. Um, I'm somebody who doesn't have any kind of background in film or in the film industry. Everything that I know pretty much comes from Elijah. I I like to say that I've been going to the Elijah School of Film for the past four years. To be clear, Um, even though I've been (laughs) podcasting about movies in some form for, shit, almost eight years now, I don't consider myself an expert either. Elijah's more of an expert than me. So don't don't feel like uh, you're at any kind of uh, expertise deficit here, but continue. Yeah, but I still kind of wanted to think about, you know, what areas, what what kinds of films could I lend a unique perspective to or Mm -hmm. a interesting perspective to beyond Mm -hmm. I watched this and I liked it, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, EO was a really interesting watch for me in that regard, uh, because I am a vegan and I've Mm -hmm. been a vegan for five years uh, and I was a vegetarian for four years before that. And I feel like this is a, you know, the central sort of issue in this movie, if you want to call it that, is is the issue of um, the relationship between humans and animals. And that especially kind of collides with the issue of animal exploitation and animal rights. And I think that that part of the movie is going to create kind of an interesting dialogue around this movie. I've already seen people calling this movie um, a glorified PETA ad, you know, wow. and people... Okay people reacting negatively towards it because of that content, because it sort of openly deals with issues of animal exploitation, um, animal abuse, the use of animals in the animal agriculture industry, all of that. And as somebody who, you know, who does not eat animals and hasn't eaten animals for a long time and is very familiar with all of this sort of rhetoric around animal rights, and also all of the media that has been produced around animal rights, all of the like big sort of vegan documentaries like Forks Over Knives and uh, Dominion and all of these sort of filmic ventures into understanding that issue. Hmm. I just felt like I could be, I, I could talk about it from my perspective in that way and sort of assess what the movie is trying to do and where I think it succeeds more so than any of those sorts of you know, sort of blatant, uh, ideologically driven documentaries succeed. Sure. Interesting. And and that's interesting that like, because towards the end of this, I feel like that part of it becomes even more prominent towards the end of EO, I should say. There's a comment about how uh, donkey meat in certain parts of the world is like a delicacy and uh, even included in salami, which was uh, not something I knew. Not that I eat salami that often, but that was like (laughs) not something I expected to learn watching this movie uh, at all. Because like, I just, you know, if you... If, if it was called pig or if it was called 
cow. Right. And there have been movies called uh, Pig and well, First Cow just in the last few years. There's, there's even one called Lamb. Like, any of those I would have expected to like, you know, be in for that kind of thing. And I knew nothing about EO going in other than a donkey was prominently featured. So I, I did not re- I, I did not know much about that. But it's interesting that you like that. That was where it kind of, you know, uh, resonated with you some. So let me let me ask before we jump into it, because uh, you brought it up. Because it might be it might be a good starting point for this conversation. Like, where where did your um, where did your vegetarianism or veganism come from? Because I, you know, I'm not I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, but I've I know a lot of people in my life who are, and mm-hmm. people come at it from very different perspectives. There are some that do. There are some that they choose that style, that dietary choice. They make that dietary choice. Some for purely for health reasons. Some do it for animal animal cruelty reasons. And one thing that I honestly only within the last let's say six seven years since my um since my one, I had a roommate for a year in law school that was that honestly, it seemed like it was more so his choice to be a vegan was driven more by uh, environmental concerns. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't know. Like I made it till 25 years old without understanding that some people did it because of conservation and environmental reasons. I'm curious uh, as someone watching this movie and which honestly, yeah, it focuses on the treatment of animals, but I think this movie is very curious just about the state of our environment and spends a lot of time, lingering on certain parts of nature more than more than just a few moments it gazes at nature in very different forms so it's it, it clearly has a lot on its mind and so i'm curious when you made that choice to become a vegetarian and subsequently a vegan what went into that for you mm-hmm. um so oh that's a very complicated question i don't have a simple answer but Okay, I'm sorry. That, that, was, that was very no, big. Okay. I'm sorry for putting okay. that on. <laughs> I can definitely do my best to explain. And I do think you identified the sort of, I, I always think of it as sort of the three prongs, the three reasons why people tend to uh, either reduce or cut out animal products from their diet, um, which is the ethical concerns, the health concerns, and the environmental concerns. Um, I was kind of persuaded by all three of those reasons to a different degree when I was sort of growing up as I, but what I want to emphasize is that I am somebody who believes that diet is 100% a personal choice. I try to be everybody's favorite vegan that they've ever met because I don't judge people for what they eat. I don't preach about what people should eat or shouldn't eat. Everybody in my life that I'm close to, except maybe one or two people, incidentally, um, eat animal products and they will never hear a single word from me of judgment about it. Um, I do think it's a personal thing for everybody. And especially because a lot of the systems of exploitation uh, that exist against animals in our world are not something that can be changed in a meaningful way through individual action alone. Mm. So one one person or a hundred right. people or a million people abstaining from eating animal products isn't going to necessarily alter this entire industry. So if somebody, you know, doesn't choose to partake in that kind of individual boycott, I don't hold it against them. And the reason why I even do it at all, because I'm not a, I'm not an incredibly political person. I'm not really an activist. The reason why I can easily be a vegan is because I don't really like eating animal products. I, I was the kind of child that would pick at the meat at her plate and, you know, just wanted to avoid it. I would always gravitate towards vegetables and fruits and starches. And I, I didn't really like it. And so it was so easy and natural for me to just put it aside, but it's not easy for everybody. For a lot of people, it's a massive part of their existence. 
And that's why I think, you know, everybody should come at the issue of animal rights and animal, you know, treating animals well through their own way. And so this is it was easy to just cut it all out. So the next time my governor, Ron DeSantis, tells me that it's a it's, it's more of a problem for me as a personal choice that I'm supporting this cow industry where cows put gases into the atmosphere. That's not as big of a problem. I shouldn't feel as bad as that uh, big company <laughs> out there that is putting far more uh, uh, <laughs> emissions into the air. I, I would say so. Okay, I, thank and, you. Thank you, you know. for making me feel a little better about that choice, <laughs> even if Ron DeSantis tells me otherwise. Yeah. So that's kind of where I come from. And I also, I agree with a lot of the sort of, you know, ethical points and environmental points about veganism, but I don't agree with all of it. I try to kind of stay a free thinker and and be critical of a lot of the perspectives that they, that can be endorsed in certain strands of veganism. And I'll probably talk about that a little bit more as we get into the plot of the movie and certain, certain things that unfold in the course of the story. Um, well, so, th- so I was going to go there next. I didn't want to make you get yeah. too personal for too long. But as you're watching a movie like this and you just kind of go into it knowing, okay, it's I, I don't know what you knew going in, how much of the rhetoric you had read about it, consumed about it going in. But like when you uh, when, when you see a movie about a uh, that's like largely about an animal and you mm-hmm. go into it and it's like, all right, well, I, and I don't know how much you knew about it going in as far as it being from the from the literally from the perspective of a donkey but i'm wondering how did you feel about this movie as and actually i didn't even necessarily ask i made, I made you talk about your uh, dietary choice i didn't really even talk to you about, <laughs> about about how much of an animal person you are in general i don't know I, I don't think you and elijah are pet owners necessarily or anything like that and i'm wondering like what did you think when you're like all right this movie is now asking me to largely like identify with this donkey and like see him as having some kind of like agency and emotions in a way that like a lot of movies don't even more so, even ones that like prominently feature animals like so there's a movie that came out about a year ago i don't know if you guys happen to watch it called uh called dog um mm. and it was it, it was it was a movie about uh it was, a, it was a movie that had uh uh channing tatum and about about a military dog and it's like and it was a movie that i i actually really liked but like i, I mean it was almost just as much from the perspective of the human that was involved as the dog this is like you're purely from the perspective of the donkey almost like 95 percent of the time in this movie i would say uh very few scenes where the donkey is not like in the frame or the topic of a conversation or present within the human characters that are talking so how did you react to just like all of a sudden being dropped into this world where it's like oh like wow i am with this donkey throughout <laughs> like what did you think of the what, what did you think of how this movie just kind of dropped you into eo's world i think a great job um sort of using using the language of film to put people in an empathetic position and i think it's i think it's unique in that regard in terms of movies that i've seen that are about animals or that feature animals or that even even movies that are, have a similar sort of subject matter where they're directly concerned with you know with animal agriculture or with animal welfare um like two examples i brought up in my letterbox review Oakjaw and a kind of lesser known film called The Cow Who Sang a Song into the Future that was um, at Sundance last year. Both of those are two movies I've seen that have that kind of same sort of thematic concern where they're they're concerned about animal welfare. They're also concerned about how that relates to the environment, how that relates to just our overall relationship with nature. Um, so there, you know, there are similar movies thematically for sure. And of course, the movie that everybody references in relation to this al hazard balthazar also has that same sort of focus on a central animal character but 
I have never seen a movie do it this well, where we are really placed into EO shoes. I've never seen Althazar Balthazar. Did you end up getting to watch that? I did. I watched it today in preparation. Yeah. Oh, th- well, thank you so much because I did not. <laughs> but Elijah was like, hey, if you can do it later, like we might be able to watch that because I-, I told Elijah he was welcome to join. But like I was like, I didn't I, but, like my schedule did not permit me to like really like do this any later if as without like going way too long without having seen uh, EO to be able to talk about it. So I'm, I appreciate you having taken the time to watch it because apparently mm-hmm. some of like describe that movie as like a spiritual sequel to this. I wanted to like point that out before you continue. Yeah. And if we wanted to talk a little bit more about that movie. So it's a, it's a 1966 French film. It's very, very, you know, it's from a different era. It's from a different time. It has a completely different feeling and it has some striking similarities, mainly that, you know, the film revolves around a donkey uh, going through different sort of trials and tribulations, passing from different owners. All of it is set in the uh, the sort of rural French countryside. Mm. But the funny thing is that there are some sort of structural and aesthetic similarities. Like in Alhazard Balthazar, there's a central uh, female main character who has like a loving relationship with the donkey. There's a po- point where the donkey joins a circus. And those are both things that it has in common with Eo. Mm. And of course, it also has in common with Eo you know, that the the main donkey character, because they are characters, endures some hardship and some abuse at the hands of humans as well. But they're kind of operating in different registers. So Alhazard Balthazar is explicitly, and this is according to the director, it's explicitly a religious allegory. Mm. The, the journey of the donkey through all of these different trials and tribulations, and unfortunately the donkey's uh, where he ends up at the end, is meant to directly mimic uh, sort of the passion of Christ. And uh, each of the stages that he uh, sort of goes through on his journey deal with different aspects of the seven deadly sins. And so it's a movie that's directly concerned, not with animals, not with animal welfare necessarily, but with using the animal as a figure through which to show the state of humankind but through an explicitly religious lens. So we see the the human characters that the donkey interacts with dealing with, with pride and gluttony and envy. And he's just, the donkey is just kind of a constant uh, going through this and acting as a sort of a metaphor for it, for innocence in the face of all of this, all of this sinfulness. So even say, though, yeah, and I would say yeah. like that sounds fairly similar to EO, except I think what you're getting at is that like EO, they probably put you in the uh, metaphorical shoes of the of the donkey even more effectively. Yes, I would say I would say so, and I don't think that I, I was trying to explain this to I was talking to Elijah about this movie earlier. I was trying mm-hmm. to sort of point what the key difference is between these movies because I have seen say that EO is essentially a remake which I don't think is accurate. I don't think it's a remake or a sequel. That's why, that's why um, I called I it a spiritual sequel. I don't know if that's accurate, but I wasn't trying to be too, yeah, uh, too specific I, about it. Yeah. I think it is, it is heavily influenced for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think the key difference is that Alhazard Balthazar is a movie with a donkey main character that is a, about human beings, mm-hmm. essentially. EO is a movie with a donkey main character that is about 
donkey. <laughs> right. I, it I, is I, not I, trying to be about human. It's not using the donkey as a metaphor for humankind, right? Right. No, it's it, it's about a donkey who gets treated by tre- treated like shit by humans. Yeah. Is what I would say. Yes, but it it is very very firmly staying in his perspective and not trying to make him into just a metaphor for the human condition. Right. I think that's really well said because what I'll say, since I've now been like interrogating you about your personal beliefs and your (laughs) thoughts on the movie for like 20 minutes now, what I would say is that, because I've um, not to get too personal myself, I've been going through like a very, very like uh, incredibly like personally work-wise stressful few weeks uh just myself so when i when that happens and it's funny uh we're, we're recording this like three days after everything everywhere all at once won the oscar for best picture uh yes. and I, I was i was going through a very similar point in my life about a year ago the, a little more than a year ago when i first saw everything everywhere all at once and it was like it made my first viewing of it like very like i was like very distracted i couldn't like focus right. and i it made it harder for me to like judge the movie in the way it deserved to be judged like i people can go back four episodes from before this one and listen to our top 10 podcast. I, I still liked it. I got around, I gave it the time <laughs> it deserved, but like similarly, like I watched EO and like, I, 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 like, I thought it was good, but I was like, I don't really know if I like, quite get this and, or I'm it's mm-hmm. like connecting with me if I'm focusing on it the way I should. So that was like three or four days ago. And over the course of the next couple of days, like, I rewatched a lot, lots of it. And like, I, the one thing that like really made it connect with me and made it, made me think about it in the way you're describing it was very specifically the scene there, there's a scene where we've already been in the movie we've already been in the world with eo for i'd say 20 minutes or so at least we so i sh- i haven't really like I, again i didn't feel the need to do a blow-by-blow description of the plot but like we open when eo is he's a circus act uh for lack of a better term he is the in he's part of some sort of troop that is like a circus and like he, he he has a he is there and as part of this circus act he is like as much as we can tell at the beginning he is actually like fair he's actually like fairly like con- content in life in that he actually has a someone that like looks after him in a way and like actually shows him love who's a woman that like works within the cir- the circus name i think Magdal. and did, did, I, did i get that name right shoot did i, I have it's, that right? uh, i think it's magda Magda, yes. Yeah. Uh, so he has someone that actually cares for him named Magda, and he, he eventually gets taken away because the circus like has to file for bankruptcy, I think, and they kind of sell off their assets, and it, he ends up in like a, a child petting zoo, essentially, and kind of like a therapy animal type of situation, which honestly like could be far worse given like the ways in which we've discussed that like human beings don't treat animals so hot. And one thing I had to keep going back and watching Haley was like I kept when I after the first time I watched, I was like, wait, how did he end up from there to there? And it, in a lot of the movie, it kind of jumps around because EO's in a lot of circumstances. And I thought I was like forgetting transitions. And I don't blame the movie for that. It just, it, it doesn't, it's not actually super clear at certain points how he ends up in the possession of certain individuals. But like there, it actually is kind of clear in the instance of when he leaves the, I'm just going to call it a petting zoo. I don't know if that's the accurate term. I'm going to call it a petting zoo. And <laughs> the moment, and I was like thinking back on it and I think I might've read whatever the Wikipedia description was. I'm like, okay, I don't remember this well enough. I need to go back and watch. I did not provide, it, it did not stick with me as much as it could because I was, as my long-winded way of saying, I was just distracted by life. I needed to go pay more attention to this movie and look back. And like, I didn't miss anything for like a lot of these instances. Like they just jump from spot to spot. Like he's later in the movie, he's recovering from this veterinarian that like with this veterinarian that like is up from what the little we see is very kind hearted. And I was like, wait, all of a sudden he's like at some, with some dude that's torturing foxes. 
basically. And I was like, wait, how did that happen? There's no explanation. Like, and that's fine. Like, that's how the movie decides to tell a story. He's on a journey, whatever. But like, it actually does show that transition when he's at the petting zoo. He, he has, Yo himself is put in, like, he has a flashback to like another time when he was with Magda and was like treated very nice. And he's like, all right, I want to leave. My current situation is not as good as that one was. And he just like hops out. And that was like the moment as I'm rewatching it where it hit me. It's like, oh, like they are trying to put us in Eo's sh- shoes. Again, metaphorical shoes. But like they are like showing us like this, this, this donkey has his own feelings and wants agency over his situation and wants to be put in a different spot. And like that was the moment where it like actually this movie kind of clicked into place for me. Cause like on top of that, on the other moments where like he does end up in a different spot, some of it, again, some of it, there's no explanation. Some of it, it's, it's pure pure neglect it is pure indifference or pure preoccupation on the part of the humans that are like have somewhat of a control or possession over him they're just like they have they have their own shit going on that that's the best way i can put it it's like he ends up in so many situations some of which lead to like worse situations because someone is not paying attention to him but like and and that is that that is its own that is the movie having its own message about the, the attention and the thought in which you put into how we treat animals. But like the moment where it really clicked for me was just seeing the circumstances under which you left that petting zoo. Cause that seemed like a pretty nice existence was just like playing with the little kids. So I'm wondering like, how did this movie effectively like make you connect with EO and make him feel like, Oh, like, wow, I'm actually now like really feeling for this feeling for this donkey. And I'm like, actually like feel connected to him in a way I haven't in these other films I've seen before about animals. Yeah. I think what you said about how the movie, you know, how you how you watched it, you know, a few more times and came to realize that the movie is showing that EO has agency. I think that is something that is really striking. Um, I think when we tend to think of animals with agency in movies, we tend to think of cartoon characters. We don't really think of, you know, animals being portrayed in movies as animals that also have agency and also can make choices and have essentially an inner world. I think this movie does a great job of trying to show us and trying to communicate to us that EO is not an object. He's not a passive, mindless, you know, being. Well, he's not a passive, mindless object sort of circulating through our systems. He is actually a living being with some kind of inner inner world, inner mental, mental world, emotional world. He has, you know, he is a being mm-hmm. with with feelings and with thoughts, and they might not be human feelings or human thoughts necessarily, but he does have that inner life. And the movie does everything it can to kind of show us that. And that also means that at some points, we are not given access to the human side of things that might make things a little clearer to us. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, I think some of those jumps between different parts of the story where it's not completely clear how he got there. Yeah. Is is part of the movie's stringent focus on EO as the subject. It doesn't want to take us too far out of his subject position in order to sort of explain to us what's happening. So if he doesn't really understand what's going on, we also I... don't get to understand, you know? Mm. And there are moments where he is making an active choice and he is saying, I'm, you know, I'm not happy here, I'm going to leave, or I am not happy with what this man is doing to these foxes. I'm going to act accordingly. 
and he makes those choices. But then there are also moments where he he is a victim and he is not in control of his situation and he doesn't have a choice. Is he, well, a very important question. Is, yeah. he a, is he a victim or not when he gets crossfaded with the soccer hooligans? Is that fun or is, that, is, is, or is he being victimized? <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> no, I know. I, I, th- I think he's a victim. I, I, yeah. I, I, I yeah, he, he, he gets, he gets, the, he, he gets the hell out of there after a certain point. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. That, and you know, that's a moment where he's drawn into something that he does not want. And he mm-hmm. immediately, you know, he does what he can as, as a donkey to get out of that situation mm-hmm. as best as he can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to go back to something that you said a while ago that sure. I think relates to this, where you said, you know, when we were talking about movies that deal with the issue of animal animal abuse or animal rights or animal welfare, we tend to think of the more obvious candidates like cows or pigs or chickens, you know, animals that we tend to associate as like food animals, right? And those are also the most obvious candidates in any any vegan documentary, any any blatantly sort of ideological uh, sort of subject. And I think what this movie does so well and so differently from any of those is that it chooses a donkey of all animals because donkeys are really bizarre creatures. In well, yeah, like what is, their main, what, what, is, what is their main purpose? You know, and... that is a question mark. That, that, to be clear, I, I, I mentioned some of those other movies in the context of like movies that are named after animals that are very clearly not about the animals, but they're not about like, they're really not about human treatment of animals. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if, did you ever watch First Cow? I haven't watched it, but it's on okay. my list. It's really not about the cow. It is about a friendship between two men, but the cow mm-hmm. is like kind of secondary to that. Did you watch Pig? Yes. Okay, pig. Like that was my favorite movie of 2021, but like it was, it, it was not about the pig. You know, it was about this right. guy. Exactly. Uh, so it's like, like a lot of movies have marketed themselves off like getting the really catchy title, um, but like they're they are not they they are very much not about that thing. Whereas this like was from the animal's perspective. I'm very I was curious to hear your thoughts on Okja because you mentioned it in passing in your letterbox review. But I think that almost might be a better like point of comparison for this movie in that like that has a very clear message. But I feel like you like appreciated the way in which EO conveyed that message compared to like something like Okja, which I did not actually mention myself. Yeah, what I what I appreciated about about this movie and and the choice of of using a donkey as kind of the central mm-hmm. character is that using a donkey as the character of focus allows for an expo- exploration of every facet of how we treat animals not just one thing yeah because we don't have an obvious use for it ourselves so that it almost speaks more like it speaks more to the to like the morality of any given person that comes into contact with it when there's not like some obvious thing to be gained Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think that a lot of the a lot of the people who encounter Eo in the story directly naturally have a compassionate impulse towards him. We mm-hmm. see a lot of characters come up to him and and pet him automatically, because I think what this movie does really well is it 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 does ultimately come down on the belief that I have, or I interpret it as coming down on this side of humans being sort of innately and sort of automatically compassionate towards animals. People don't usually, it is not normal human behavior to abuse animals. It is something that we have sort of created structures to facilitate 
and to right. I, I, I'm not. I'm not, a ve- I'm not a vegan like you. But if I if if someone puts me in front of a pig, I'm gonna pet that pig. You know? Exactly. And and almost everybody in the world would. We all sort of naturally want to be caring and kind towards animals, and that's also why we have such strong relationships with our pets because those are animals that exist in our lives that are sort of socially conscribed or circumscribed as animals that we are meant to love and to care for that don't serve another function Mm -hmm. they're not labor animals they're not animals that we eat and eo is in a really difficult position because he doesn't have a place like an easily defined place within our modern understanding of how we categorize animals and every single step of his journey is him trying and failing (laughs) not not through any fault of his own to fit into those categories. So in a way in which he, he, to the extent that we can identify with him, obviously felt like he did when he first met him, like he, because, because he had someone that honestly truly cared about him more than just like petting the friendly face in front of him. And he's like trying to recreate that feeling. Exactly. And that that's, that's the central thing in his life that has the most meaning is that, you know, when he was at the circus, it didn't necessarily make sense for him to be at the circus. Like there's no, there's not. You don't think donkey when you think circus, you might think elephant or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's no logical, natural reason why a donkey should be at the circus. And we're also seeing that other people at the circus don't treat him very well necessarily. Um, But he does have someone there through pure chance who does love him and care for him for no other reason than because he's EO. She doesn't love him because he can serve her in some way. She loves him for the same reason that we love our pets, right? But he's not a pet. He's a donkey. And once he's removed from that circus setting, he goes to a stable full of horses. And then we see that, you know, he's a donkey, not a horse. Horses are more powerful. They can do a lot more. They can serve humans a lot better than donkeys can. So he's just sort of left off to the side with nothing to do. So he sort of fails at being a labor animal there. Mm. And then he goes to the the petting zoo, which I think is a good name for it, because it's essentially just a rural farm in the middle of nowhere. But because the farm isn't really producing anything, because it's not a farm in sort of the way that we expect farms to work, it sort of serves this strange new function of, of helping out humans who could use some nature therapy in the absence of being around nature on a regular basis. And so we get this incredible scene of him, you know, with, with a child on his back riding up the hillside and the child, the children are having the time of their life connecting with nature. And in the foreground, a tree is falling because the forest is being cut down. Mm. You know, it's him in a, you know, in what might might have been a logical place for him in the past, which was, you know, an agricultural setting just as part of a farm. Now it doesn't make sense anymore because the world doesn't work that way. We don't have many like tiny family farms where things are grown and where everything is part of a cycle. So he has to, he has this very kind of artificial function that sort of is drawn out of the needs of a modern world that has very little connection to nature anymore and has to sort of force that into existence. Right. Like, and, it, it, and, and it might, it might mean something to that child in that moment, but this doesn't, it doesn't, it just doesn't mean the same thing to him. Um, right. But, but, but at the same time, um, so I would say throughout the whole movie, we, we've already touched on most of his stops 
I would say, uh, in at least briefly, including in the ones where he has some other human interaction. Well, well, actually, we didn't talk really about the stops that get him to where he ends the the the, the, the couple of stops preceding where he ends the movie. But like he he's at the petting zoo, and that that as I talked about, he that's where he has the flashback to Magda and is uh, is motivated to like go find a different situation, and and he ends up like with these soccer hooligans that again party with him but really really is use him as a vessel for some of their more childish impulses mm-hmm. and, and and that leads him to like you know being on the other end of the just like i, I re, like i said I, I did rewatch the movie but like i i felt that i i was fine to fast forward through uh what happens when the, uh, the soccer opponents come across him of and <laughs> uh, yeah i i did not need to watch that again and then he ends up like again in the care of this vet who like then rehabilitates him but then all of a sudden he ends up you know with this like uh just with like this person that a fur trader i guess right uh who is not treating the Mm -hmm. fox as well he you know gets out of that situation and then all of a sudden he is like kind of like he's on like on his own again and basically until until he's not and he like ends up briefly in like possession of like some like again this is part of where it's just like i i don't i can't give like the most specific blow by blow because again like you said they i guess smartly depart from his point of view in places where he might not fully be able to process it himself even though again mm-hmm. they are giving us his perspective in like the best way possible in 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 as much as it makes sense to but like he ends up uh again he ends up like i, I want to jump ahead to the end is what i'm getting at like i mean yeah. there is like i don't necessarily want to jump ahead totally to the end because he ends up where he does at the end after he is temporarily in the possession of someone else that has taken him on, who he only ends up escaping from because the guy gets murdered by someone he tries to sexually assault. So I, I don't know another way to put it, but that is what happens. And it's like, I, I, and I don't know, I, I'm curious what you made of that scene. Cause to me, it was like, it, it only further spoke to like the, I, yeah, I guess savagery, savagery is the right term with what, the, the consequences are for EO of with result with respect to like that particularly guy. But like, I feel like you don't even have to go to that extreme to just for, to look at the rest of the movie and see how it is a story about the, the consequences that human decisions have on animals mm-hmm. when we might not even realize it because we're too preoccupied on our own shit. And I'm wondering what you made of what got us to the, honestly, his final stop before he ends up where he does at the end, meaning uh, when he ends up at, Isabel Huppert's house. I, I I don't know, but I'm curious. What did you think of a lot of the decisions that got him to like when he was in Italy and what that said about how we treat animals? Yeah, initially reacted not entirely positively to everything that happened in Italy. It As was, you should not. Well, no, not, not from an emotional perspective. I really didn't have any emotional problems watching this, uh, but from like a sort of understanding the plot and oh, critiquing okay. the movie i wasn't entirely enthused with the last part in italy at first mm. but after i've given it a lot more thought and kind of processed it i've formed an interpretation about it that i that makes sense to me and that i think ties into the uh to the film's overall message okay so the way that i see for instance um the scenes where he's in the truck with all of the horses mm-hmm. being driven from Poland to Italy um, by a driver who has like all of this metal memorabilia in the front and is headbanging his way across Europe. So the scene where he gets out of the truck, he's at a rest stop. He sort of staggers into this rest stop, buys some food, staggers back out, 
sees a woman who I don't exactly know what was trying to be communicated in terms of her position in the world. I don't know if she was meant to be perhaps a refugee or if she was a criminal who was orchestrating this entire encounter. I don't, or if she was just somebody on hard times. I don't really know exactly. And I don't think we get to know because we're EO. <laughs> right. And, but he sees a woman who seems kind of desperate and hungry and he decides to take advantage of her and he feeds her, but he clearly wants something in exchange. And as a consequence, she has an un unseen ally who quickly uh, prevents him from going any further with that. I saw him as kind of a presentation of people who are extremely, who are so sort of divorced from the natural world that they can only see nature as, as a commodity yeah. to be exchanged. So he, you know, he has no connection, no emotional bond with any of the animals that he ships no, across he, the country. He, he buys him, yeah. in, he buys him as like an offhand secondary transaction to a larger deal he's making. That's all it is. Exactly. He doesn't see them as anything other than objects that he can mm -hmm. profit from. And, you know, we can also see how him sort of going through this really sterile artificial process of going to this rest stop and going into this like sterile and buying some food that he's completely disconnected from nature. He lives on these highways, these concrete highways and these huge trucks. There's nothing like sort of natural about him as a person. And because of that, that sort of transactional way that he associates with animals, he clearly also brings that to his encounters with other people. He only sees this woman as something else that he can exploit. And he doesn't have sort of uh, unconditional compassion towards her, just like he doesn't have compassion towards animals. Mm -hmm. He will only help her if he can get something in exchange, the same way that he would only be kind to an animal if he got something out of it. So that that's how I understood that entire section. Sure. Um, and then I had an even harder time wrestling with <laughs> the final the, yeah, sort the of final, chapter. Yeah. In Italy, yeah, once we're in Italy and like we and like I yeah, and it, I I I was I was into the movie enough up until that point where I had forgotten that Isabel Huppert was in it, and I'm like, wow, Isabel Huppert is all of a sudden in this movie. We have like a uh, one of the, like honestly maybe the greatest French actress of all time, just like <laughs> hanging out with us in Italy, and I was like, oh wow, and I had to like reorient myself. So I it, it is a very like interesting turn like all of a sudden spot to be in when you're like immersed from the point of view of this donkey. And then all of a sudden, like you're in the scene with like Isabel Huppert and her stepson. So yeah, it sounds like, you've been plates. On, <laughs> right. It seems like you've been on a little bit of a journey with this part of the movie, given that like we were so strongly in EO's point of view up until for most of the movie. And I feel like that is like the hardest departure mm -hmm. in the movie all of a sudden at that point. So I'm curious, like what you are made of that after, now that you've had a few days to think about it. Yeah, I I think that those scenes with Isabel Huppert and uh, I think his name is Lorenzo Zerzolo, he's an Italian mm -hmm. actor, those were, to me, the scenes that worked the least in the movie, mm -hmm. but I don't think that they were bad, per se, because I still think that they can be tied in with the overall theme. Yeah. I think that what is weak about them is how far they get outside of EO's perspective. Um, mm -hmm. We do feel kind of disconnected from EO when, when we're in the chapel uh, where Vito is giving his, his service to his own stepmom in their private <laughs> chapel. And then suddenly he's in a kitchen with her. It, it feels a little disconnected, but I do think that 
even though that might have been a little too much of a departure from EO, those scenes are communicating that ultimately, it seemed to me that Vito hadn't formed the kind of bond with EO that Magda formed with EO. Mm. They didn't have that unconditional bond because, and when, you know, when Vito sort of appeared and shepherded uh, EO away, we didn't really understand his reasonings for that, but he did say, I think it's time for, you know, it's time for me to go home. I haven't been home in a while. So I think that Vito was ultimately just using EO as a means of sort of coming home after having run away and sort of coming back to this home environment where he clearly had a lot of issues and things that he was avoiding. And that was, and EO was just his excuse to get him there. And so EO, you know, was looked after in that environment uh, from everything we saw. All of his scenes, he was sort of just standing in an idyllic, like, uh, garden, but he also wasn't care, like, he wasn't, he was cared for, but he wasn't cared about. Nobody yeah, really I, particularly cared that he was there. Yeah, and I'm not sure how bogged down the movie actually wants to get into the details of that, because that was another thing I went back and rewatched. I was like, wait, how did he end up from that place to where he is at the very end right. of the movie? And, like, let's just call this a spoiler jumping off point right now i mean if anyone's listened to us for the last 37 minutes or whatever it's been or 40 minutes and like they don't know how it ends like god bless you like jump off and <laughs> jump off and watch this damn movie on criterion channel and then come back but he uh like i was like wait how how did he get to where he is at the end and it's like they don't show that one either i mean i guess you can you, you can infer yourself that like they kind of show him they, they show eo running away but like it doesn't show like if he hops a fence or if he like is just like not in a contained area. Like you see him like hanging out briefly before they jump into the conversation that the two of those characters are having again, where it goes as far from his point of view as they ever do. But then it just cuts back to him, like roaming, roaming on his own again. And then it, then all of a sudden from there, it jumps into where he is at the very end when it seems like he's all of a sudden, you know, ended up blending in with other horses or donkeys or whatever. I, I, I kind of took that a couple of ways, but like you said, if nothing else, you could infer he's not being looked after as carefully as he mm-hmm. should because the, the veto like picked him up as like a secondary thought. Like, oh, yep. this is this would be a nice thing to have, and nothing based on the fact that he obviously like, escapes and isn't taken care of any more carefully. And you're all of a sudden inside while Vito is talking to his stepmom. It's like really never put much more thought into that. I was like, oh, there's this whole entire police encounter going on here, and there's a donkey sitting here. Here, <laughs> I'm like, I guess I might have it have donkey. It's like. He never put any more thought into it than that. And again, that goes to the fact that like we like we might use them we we as humans on our own whims, we might use an animal to fulfill that whim in that moment and we might not think about it beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the kind of whimsical way that he confronts EO in the first place and decides to take him back. I th- I think it's so brief, but like I think that's yeah, intentional. It's totally intentional and I and I think that his when he's in the sort of in the uh, carriage with on the way back the drive back that's an even more striking example of how he he pours a lot of his own sort of emotional baggage into eo rather than sort of appreciating eo for what eo actually is because he's sitting in this in this car with eo and the first thing he thinks of saying is i've eaten kilograms of meat including donkey salami i've eaten lots of it and then, and then, you know, and then, can and you forgive then, me for that and then he tries to feed eo and he was like nah and he's like yeah. <laughs> to spoil your appetite <laughs> right it's like oh, he God. you know he feels guilty just being around this animal but he's also not really taking the time to 
get to know the animal on his own terms and mm -hmm. appreciate him for his own terms. He wants he wants to use EO as a sort of vehicle for redemption, mm -hmm. both his personal redemption, his emotional redemption. Um, and I think EO knows that. And I I agree that his departure from uh from the amazing, beautiful mansion that that Vito lives in, mm -hmm. um, I think I agree that it's sort of ambiguous how that happens, but I I would come down on the side that EO is again in that instance making a choice to leave. Mm. I yeah. think he he sees the open gate and he says, I I'm not loved here. I still don't have Magda. I still don't have that uncon unconditional love that I've always wanted. I'm leaving. She and it, it makes the ending even more tragic. The idea yeah. that he could have been he could have been safe there. He yeah. could have been safe and fed and out of danger there for his whole life but he chose to leave because he did not have love and that was just yeah it's so, yeah. it's so brutal because like it's so brutal because we've already i i've already talked way too much at length about how how i connected with i, I connected to this movie at the moment he leaves the petting zoo that's a moment that's somewhere he could have just stayed if you look in like the cast or whatever i don't think isabel who is credited as anything other than countess but like She's like this rich lady who like owns this villa because she divorced some other guy, whatever. Like, yeah, she might not feel that much of an emotional attachment to anything on this property, but I think we can infer that this would just be a safe property to chill out on if you're some kind of animal that just like wants a place to hang out and Yo gets away. Uh, and let's just say the place, like, again, we're in spoiler territory now. Wherever he winds up, it's, 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 it's heavily, heavily implied it's not going to end well for him. And I'm wondering taking into account everything we've talked about Haley, like man like i mean you, you can't help as a viewer of this movie than to like at some point get a little invested in neo and want good things for him but at the same time i don't think this movie has exactly the most positive opinion of humanity either and how we treat animals so i'm wondering like did you have the same conflicted feelings about the ending with where it leaves with where it leaves eo where it's like you feel sad but it's like it kind of makes sense we are where we are i i think that 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 says it very well uh it kind of makes sense we are where where we are is a very good way of putting it actually because i think this movie does two things very effectively together that sort of lead us to this bittersweet conclusion first of all it insists on us feeling empathy for eo and we and we do we have to like i i would I would be very I I would love to talk to somebody who watched this and didn't immediately empathize with EO um and pour a lot mm -hmm. of emotional investment into him. I don't think you actually um, want to talk to that kind of person. That's not that's Oh, not I would love to. Of. I would love to debate them. I would love to argue with them. Um so it does that but at the same time it sort of shows kind of the inevitability and the pervasiveness of all of these structures that exist that make it so EO doesn't have an easy place anywhere in the world mm. because the world is a fully human controlled world that this is a movie that has no illusions about who is at the top of the proverbial food chain humans sure. run the show and for that reason actually my favorite scene in the movie um is right after EO leaves the petting zoo he staggers into the wilderness for a little bit he staggers into this nighttime forest Right. And it's a very surreal scene because, you know, it's just it's just some woods. It's really it's not a fantastical place. It's literally just a forest, but it's frightening and surreal and strange for him. 
he sees all of these, you know, all of these nighttime animals, sees owls, wolves, um, frogs, and he feels, and we get this sense that it's all very sinister and scary for him because it is. He is not a wild animal. He's a domestic animal. And I actually, I read a little bit about donkeys for this, uh, which was fun. I've never read about donkeys uh, with the intention of reading about donkeys before. <laughs> but in the process, uh, I found out that, you know, donkeys are fully domestic animals and very few sort of wild or feral populations of donkeys exist in the world. And where they do exist, they're an invasive species. Wow. They actually in in australia it's actually a big problem there's quite a number of of feral donkeys and they ravage the environment they're considered an invasive species they are not sort of meant to be there you know in in a natural way and so i think that that little scene there is 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 sort of signaling to us that our impulse that we often feel towards animals of thinking that they might be better off wild and free might not make sense all the time and the scene closes with this sort of surreal um, sort of cloud of green neon lights descending upon the forest. And they're the laser beams of guns of people going into the woods to eradicate um, the wolf population, to keep the wolf population in check. So even in that moment where we're thinking that EO has entered this wilderness beyond the pale of human right. influence, humans are still there. They're still influencing everything. They have a hand yes. over the entire situation. So th this is a movie that emphasizes that we cannot escape all of these structures that have been in place for some, sometimes centuries, sometimes they're newer. And because we have these systems built, the best thing that we can do as human beings in order to defy any in order to just be better stewards of the animals that we have so much control over is to empathize with them, is to feel for them and to not be afraid to feel for them. And that that can that can hurt. It can hurt to feel for EO and then get to where we get in the movie. But that is the responsibility that we have to take on if we're going to be good stewards of the world much control over. <laughs> And any, anyone that watches this without uh, listening to this or listening to all this is entire, listening to all this is in, in its entirety is yeah they're going to be hurt. Um, yeah. Let, let me ask you because you you mentioned the scene with the where you're kind of it's revealed what is actually going on there with respect to what is being hunted and that's an actually one of the more visual interesting moments in the movie. Mm -hmm. There are some other moments where it does try and convey you know, his point of view where like a lot of things are filtered through red uh yes. during that moment you see a one of those moments you see a wind turbine and there's like there's a lot of other visual interest there's a lot of other visually interesting flourishes throughout the movie and i just before we wrapped up i wanted to like give you one more chance to like highlight any other interesting moments that we didn't already talk about that you wanted to mention because again like yes it doesn't stray too far from eo's point of view but in doing so like again we are seeing the world through eo's eyes we're seeing this environment in a lot of different ways and different corners of Poland, I guess, because I, I don't know how much of it was actually France. I mean, I, most mm -hmm. of this, I think we are seeing Poland. Was there any other visually interesting moments from the movie that we didn't already touch on that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, I mean, for me, the the most sort of visually spectacular scene was um, was that 
uh, that windmill scene. Mm. Um, and leading up to it, there's this very, I, I can only describe it as psychedelic, uh, yeah. like drone shot uh, following down this river into, into a canyon. And there are a lot of moments like that in the movie that are extremely expressionistic and sort of unabashedly stylized. And I think those are also, those might be the moments that people watch and think are a little pretentious, a little like artsy. <laughs> I liked them because to me, I don't have a complete interpretation of those scenes. I think that they could represent a lot of different things, especially the scenes in red where every single thing kind of goes red toned. Mm -hmm. I think you could, you could make an argument. Those scenes are uh, representing how EO sees the world and how use the world in a fundamentally different way than humans do or at his most but harrowing moments also, for him yeah right and yeah they often are the most dramatic moments and so i think that that is definitely a valid interpretation i also think that they have the added sort of expressive and artistic benefit of heightening the story a little bit and making it feel a little more sort of mythological a little bit more like there's a sort of higher stake and a higher purpose than just this one donkey that we are really about the whole world here. Um, and for that reason, I think that the windmill scene is fantastic. The way that it sort of ends with um, this really tragic image of a bird that had been struck by the windmill sort of falling down to the ground. This idea that, you know, we are in a way human beings we are trapped in these kind of structures that we ourselves have created mm. and even as we make efforts to sort of to make positive changes in the face of those structures the animals are still they're still subject to those you know they're still entwined in that and we have to be the responsible ones in dealing with those consequences. Yeah, I think there's like a lot of ways to look at that. And it's like, because I've, I've traveled some in Europe uh, through specific parts. There's a lot of parts of Europe I haven't been to, but like they, for whatever it's worth, like they do a good job with some of that stuff. Like, you know, like there's a lot of wind power that's being utilized in different parts. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, like even in parts of the world where it's like, we are thinking about the environment. The fact that we're like, we're seeing what's happening to you all throughout. It's like, we're not like necessarily giving, like, I think it speaks to like, the fact that like, hey, we can like, even in areas of the world where like, we're very well intentioned with respect to like how we like treat our environment or the animals or really anything other than humans, like we're maybe not doing everything we can. And that, that, that was one thing I thought of when I did see that. It's like, oh, like we're, we're, we're on this harrowing journey with this donkey right now. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're putting our focus on this. And it's like, it's all well and good, but it's like, yo, maybe like, maybe we can do a little more for animals because there's so many points throughout this movie where it's like, Hey, this donkey would be a lot better off if there was just like one more animal services person located here. And if there's one more other visual thing I would mention, it was like the moment where we actually like do see him, like, you know, where, where we actually like do see him like wandering through a town. Mm -hmm. And it's like at that, at that moment, it's like, oh, cool. He gets taken in by like some animal control people. Maybe they will get her somewhere well. And it's like, what, like less than two scenes after that, where it's like they accidentally let him wander into this like soccer pitch. Or this, uh, <laughs> it's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, like in theory, they're these people's jobs are to keep animals safe, and all of a sudden they just like let them let him wander off to a point where he can just be like led astray by some soccer hooligans, and like which puts us in like the most har harrowing part of the movie. I don't remember the order of everything, but I don't think that was that far removed from where we're like 
we, we are seeing those wind turbines or, 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 the, or the windmills. And it's like, I, I think, I think it, in a way, like it all kind of goes together. It's like, look, we are like so imperfect. We're the one, us, the humans are the ones that have control of everything. And we are like so flawed. And like, we've like, yeah. And there, there might be some kind of structure in this small Poland town, Polish town in place to like make sure the right thing happens. And like, we are very close to like allowing it to like not be the case because those structures only do so much to look out for the defenseless animals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Haley, any other parts of this movie we haven't already touched on that you wanted to talk about before we wrapped up? Um, I mean, I think we've talked about all of the sort of main mm-hmm. story beats. Um, the thing that I want to loop back to and and sort of emphasize as like my mm-hmm. closing my closing sort of perspective on this sure. movie, and the reason why I think people should watch it and I hope can enjoy it, even though we have talked about how parts of it are seem a little bleak, seem a little. Um, a little sad, a little tragic. If anyone has listened to this point in the podcast and not seen the movie uh, and is still going to then go watch the movie, <laughs> I, I, I applaud you. Yes, definitely. But you should you should go watch <laughs> yes, it. Yes, yes, Um, But I think it, it could be easy for a lot of people to watch this and, you know, deal with the emotional impact of the ending and come away from this movie with the idea that it might be pessimistic about humans' relationship with animals, that it might be sort of trying to make you feel bad, trying to make you feel hopeless. I don't think that's at all what's happening here. I think it's actually a very hopeful movie, a very optimistic movie. And it also does something very different from uh, those many, many uh, sort of vegan documentaries that I've mentioned uh, that a lot of sort of vegan ideology, uh, and you know, this isn't everybody, obviously, I'm not part of this, when confronted with the sheer magnitude of human harm on animals, a lot of people's solution, you know, ideologically, emotionally, is to say, we need to separate from animals entirely. We shouldn't own them as pets. We shouldn't Mm. use them for labor. We shouldn't, essentially, we should never have any kind of relationship with an animal at all, even if it's mutually beneficial, because it's still using animals it's still exploiting them in some way i disagree with that and i think this is a great movie about how humans should be with animals as long as we can treat animals like beings that Mm. have inherent dignity that we should empathize with that we should treat well the same way that we would treat a person well and that we can have unconditional loving relationships with animals that are not about exploiting them, that do benefit them, and that they participate in. That's what I think the sort of thesis of this movie is. It's that we should care for animals and not be afraid to care for them, despite all of the forces in the world that tell us not to care about animals. And that, I think, is something really beautiful and really effective that this does. And that's why I think it's a valuable movie for anybody to watch. You're a hardcore animal activist or you just like your pet dog or anything in between. I think this movie has something for any for everybody because we all share this sort of fundamental human uh, characteristic with that's the animal re- world. Yeah, that's really well said. I so I, I don't want to add much to that. I'll just say like it I it's I think with what it does in the first part of that movie and even like it brings Magda back for like a brief moment where it shows the kindness and she, I don't, again, it's not important how, but she somehow is able to find this random, uh, this, this random field in Poland where EO is now. And it, like, 
it, it makes it very clear like hey there 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 is a good version of this life that he could lead it's just you know the world is conspiring against him so like mm-hmm. you get to see that you get to see the positive humanity but also just like puts a mirror on us in like the best way possible even if it might be really hard to watch at times it is you know maybe necessary medicine we need to take as a people uh i think it's a really great note to end on Haley, before 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 we wrap up, uh, it, as you know, this is the point of the podcast. I normally ask the guests for any other recommendations, but it's okay if you don't have any. Do you have anything you want to recommend to us, whether it be something else you've watched recently as you've gotten ready for the Oscars that just happened or just something you want to plug personally, social media-wise or work-wise? Anything else you want to say or plug or tell people to consume before we wrap up? Yeah. Um, well, I, me- I mentioned it briefly earlier, but mm-hmm. I can mention um the cow who sang a song into the future. Right. I, I had not heard about this. So I'm glad, I'm glad you bring it yeah. back. Yeah. It is a great movie. It came out, like I said, I saw it in Sundance okay. last year. Um, I really don't know it, about its availability. So my recommendation mm. might be in vain. It might not be <laughs> possible to see it, but the cow who what? The cow who sang a song into the future. Okay. Interesting. Um, it is a, gosh. <sighs> It's, oh, right. So yeah, yeah. If, if, if you go on Letterboxd right now, it does not show up as streaming anywhere. But like, tell us about it in case people can look out for it. Yeah, uh, I believe it's a, uh, I want to say it's a Chilean film. I mm-hmm. might be wrong about yep, that. Yep, yep, yep. It's Chile. Yes. You're right. And it is a movie about, again, like like this movie, it's about humans' relationship with, with nature. But it has a much more sort of human-centric focus to kind of deal with all of those issues. And it it also is very much about environmentalism. It's about gender. Uh, there's some good quality trans rights content in this film. And there's also singing dead fish in this movie and uh, mournful singing cows singing about generational trauma. It's really got everything. Um, if you like sort of experimental indie films that have a very sort of sincere uh, message, this is definitely for you. It's also just very beautifully filmed. Elijah is a huge fan of it, so it has his seal of approval. Yeah, you, you guys are the only two people I'm now. I put it. Up. <laughs> You're the only two people I know that I've seen in a letterbox. So that is a great tease for whenever this Chilean film becomes available. But like, I'm glad you brought it back up because the context in which you brought it up earlier, I think, was like in relation to Okja, which you were not as high on in your letterbox no. review of Eo. <laughs> so I, I just kind of assumed you weren't as big on the cow who sang a song into the future. No, so I'm glad I'm a huge fan of this okay. movie. So like I, I kind of assumed you were grouping it with Okja for that reason. Like you thought this was like EO was like way better than the other two, but like it's, it looks like you like this one a lot. So I'm glad you uh I'm glad you made that pitch. And people if they have any other curiosity in movies that like, you know, have a uh, have the right kind of like perspective on these kind of issues. That is something they can look out for. I do not have a ton else to recommend at the moment. I'm again in the middle of a very busy stretch of work where I like spent most of my last three weeks trying to like final finish out the end of the year for the podcast and have not watched a lot of new stuff. I would just tell people that are listening now. Uh, I highly recommend you go back and watch all the John Wick movies. Uh, they're all on Peacock. <laughs> if you have Peacock, I highly recommend it because like I I'm re-recording this within a day of when the review embargo lifted on John Wick 4. And like, mm-hmm. I honestly, like I was going to see John Wick 4 no matter what, but like, I have like 
I love John Wick three somehow more than the first two. And I did not have the, like, I, I would be unfair to expect something to be better than it, but like the reviews of John Wick four are incredibly good. So uh, if anyone like hasn't seen the John Wick movies in a while and you've access to Peacock, go back and watch them. We're going to have a new episode on that within like, I would say probably a week or two of whenever people listen to this with our friend Daniel and maybe one other guest as well, but it's to be determined. So everyone go back and watch John Wick and uh, just refresh yourself. Those movies are fun and incredibly rewatchable. Uh, Haley, uh, do you have anything you want to plug social media wise, like your letterbox or anything like that? Uh, sure. My, my letterbox is HJ three, eight, seven, six. Oh, very, um, very, very easy to remember. Yes. Oh yeah. Super, super <laughs> catchy. <laughs> you can tell that I was going for a social media empire with that one. Yeah. We always welcome our film influencers yeah. on here. Yes. <laughs> so yes, follow, follow, follow Haley on there. Uh, again, I, I have enjoyed a lot of her reviews. So it was great to finally have her on the podcast. Again, that is uh, HJ3876. As usual, I'm Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. On both Twitter and Letterboxd, the podcast Twitter is at RuineMoviePod. The podcast email is RuineMoviePod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Haley for joining us. And we'll see you next time.